You're listening to Sharp Scratch, episode 41, Fainting. This is a podcast brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection, where we bring together medical students, junior doctors and expert guests to discuss all the things that you need to know to be a good doctor, but that you might not get taught at medical school. I'm Nikki, and I'm the editorial scholar here at the BMJ, and I'm also a medical student at the University of Manchester. And I'm excited to be joined today by my good friends, Anna and Lily. Anna, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi everyone. Um, my name's Anna. I am a final year, finally a final year, medical student at King's College London, uh, currently based in sunny Ashford in Kent. Nice to have you with us, Anna. And Lily, do you want to introduce yourself? Hiya, my name's Lily and I'm currently a fourth year medical student at Barts in the London, which is in East London. And I am living in East London, so that's where I'm at. <laughs> Great to have you with us in the virtual studio as well. Um, And I'm delighted to be joined today by our expert guest, Dr. Boone Lim. Boone, could you introduce yourself too? Yes, hi, uh, Nikki, uh, Anna and Lily. Thank you very much for the kind introduction and invitation to speak. I'm Boone Lim. I'm one of the uh, consultant cardiologists based at Hammersmith Hospital in London. And I run the uh, syncope service uh, over at Hammersmith where we perform one of the largest numbers of tilt table testing for patients to investigate syncope uh, in London. So today I wanted to talk a little bit about fainting. I was going to start off by saying we've all been there, but as a medical student, if you haven't, you've probably seen someone in your anatomy dissection group or your clinical partner go, Fainting is so common at medical school. I speak from experience as someone who's had a theatre nurse threaten to not sign me off on my attendance form because he didn't recognise me when I was vertical. But (gasps) (laughs) what actually happens when we faint? Boone, can you help us out a little bit here? Sure. So as you say, Nikki, fainting is very, very common and it's seen uh, in up to 50% of patients in their lifetimes. Fainting essentially is due to two things either a low blood pressure or a low heart rate. And effectively that reduces the perfusion of blood and oxygen to the brain and leads to a transient loss of consciousness. So the wider, um, if you like, uh, group of disorders to do with loss of consciousness uh, would be considered transient uh, if a patient can recover within a few minutes. And fainting is one of those reasons why people might transiently lose consciousness. There are other reasons for loss of consciousness, but I think for the purposes of this podcast, you might want to stick to fainting, which is also known, uh, I guess, as vasovagal syncope to the majority of people. For the medical student, however, and for the medic, it's very important to recognize another cause of so-called fainting, and that's cardiac syncope. And this can affect 10 to 15% of patients who attend the ER. And the reason to recognize this very sharply and acutely and be aware of it is because cardiac syncope can kill. And cardiac syncope is something serious that should be investigated and not uh, let go and reassured inappropriately. Yeah. So um, this is a question for you as well, um, Anna and Lily. But why do you think that it's so common for medical students to faint. I mean, I guess the obvious is that we see a lot of gory things. Uh, Theatre isn't particularly pretty, I wouldn't say, Um, although I am a bit squeamish, so potentially I'm biased. Um, 
and like yeah things like needles and blood I guess we just have a higher exposure to it I would say that is probably the biggest reason yeah definitely like I think about everything in terms of like why do we do it in terms of like the selection pressures that have been on humans um since the beginning of time right it's an evolutionary thing to try and like your body to try and protect itself if it sees like someone else bleeding right because there might be danger so that's kind of how I conceptualize it but also I think medical students stand up for a long time (laughs) yeah that's definitely very true Boone, what are your thoughts? Why are all the above, triggers? Yeah. All the above are correct. And I guess I love the fact that you've got three people on a panel. And I love the fact that you even brought up the evolution, evolutionary aspect of it. Because there is a Porges polyvagal theory that, that posits exactly that uh, hypothesis, which is uh, the, the vagus nerve, which contributes to a lot of why we have this highly unusual and abnormal reflex, can be very protective in certain uh, situations. And the exact quote that was said, the reason one might faint is to protect yourself from a predator. And for example, if you think of a mammal like the possum, and you've heard of possums playing dead, when possums pretend to play dead, they actually become quite bradycardic. They drop blood pressure and actually lie flat because they are experiencing an an episode of vasovagal syncope in the face of a threat. And in the face of a similar threat with an approaching needle or a gory dissection or an orthopedic knee joint that has gone more than 180 degrees backwards the wrong way, you might feel similarly inclined. And so fainting is fascinating because there are so many reasons why one could postulate why a vasovagal reflex does eventually occur. All of the above are correct. We'll talk a little bit more about our own experiences with fainting in just a moment, but we're going to take a quick break to hear about an offer available to Sharp Scratch listeners. As a junior doctor, you want the latest clinical information at your fingertips, anywhere, anytime. That's why Funded by Health Education England, NHS Education for Scotland and NHS Wales, all NHS staff in England, Scotland and Wales have free access to BMJ Best Practice. BMJ Best Practice provides the latest evidence-based information structured around the patient consultation to help you treat patients with confidence. It includes differential diagnosis and treatment algorithms, videos of common clinical procedures, important update alerts for evidence changes, over 500 medical calculators, links to local guidelines and nearly 500 patient leaflets. Create your free account today by visiting bmj.com forward slash UK access. Okay, back to the show. Some of us are definitely more prone to it and I'll admit that I did choose my panel today based on my fellow fainters. So go on, Anna, why don't you start us off with one of your fainting stories? So I can tell you guys about my first fainting story. So this this has like cemented fainting as something extremely traumatic in my head. And I think is the reason why I continued being a lightheaded person who was always worried about fainting. Um, so when I was 13, I had the HPV jab, you know, that, and it was quite new back then because I'm, I'm older than both you guys. Um, And most people had it at school, but I, for some reason, didn't have it at school. I went to the GP and I remember, and my dad listens to this podcast. So dad, I'm, I'm telling the 
entire world of of, uh, med Twitter about your neglect of me when I was a teenager. So he was like, come on then, you've had it done, it's fine. Marched me out of the um, nurse's room and then I was just like gone in front of everyone in the waiting room. Um, And all of those people must have been like, what have they done to her in there? Um, But I think that, and then I was always so nervous, like before every other incident, like before I had my BCG, when I was, when I came to medical school, like there was a lot of like tension there. And I think that just makes it worse. Like there's probably some sort of feedback loop when you're so stressed about it. Definitely. Lily, do you have a story of fainting at medical school or anything? Yeah, absolutely. I have always been someone who like, when they stand up, is like, whoa, and everyone's always like, okay. Um, but I actually hadn't fainted until a couple years ago on my third year haematology placement, and I was watching a Hickman line removal. And I felt completely fine. I was like, wow, I could be a haematologist. This is so fun. I'm not being squeamish at all. And then uh, I saw the nurse look up for me from the patient, and she was like, do you need to sit down? And I was like, what? And then I woke up on the floor, surrounded by nurses. I had an oxygen mask on. I had a SATS probe on. They were pricking my finger for my blood sugar. I had a blood pressure cuff on. And there was like a thing saying like code whatever, or whatever the tannoy was saying. And all these nurses were like, oh no. Um, Other context, I was in the middle of the chemo unit. So all the patients around me are like having chemotherapy, sitting in their chairs peacefully. And then me, the medical student, just decks it. So that was really embarrassing and uh, was a big shock because I'd never fainted before. And then the second time I ever fainted, only two in my whole life. My second time was a few weeks ago getting my BCG jab. Again, felt completely fine. And then I looked at my arm and because it makes like a little bubble, I just like looked at it and I had a moment of like, what? what is that? And then again, woke up, the nurse had ripped my mask off, I had another nurse in there. I think I must faint quite dramatically, because I always wake up to like Grey's Anatomy scale horror, like (laughs) everyone stresses out. So I think I must like swoon like a heroine in a film. Um, But yeah, so fully, fainting is not my friend. Yeah, so I fainted a little bit before when I was a child, I fainted in like church choirs or airports, again like places where I had to stay stood upright for a while. But um, I hadn't fainted in quite a while. And then suddenly in my third year last year on my vascular surgery block, which was six weeks long, it took me till week five to have been able to stay stood upright for an entire operation. I fainted on the first day of that block. And (gasps) luckily my clinical partner caught me because I really didn't see it coming. It was otherwise it would have been a full on dramatic drop. (laughs) But by the end of the block, I just could see it coming. I could sit myself down before I fainted. So it wouldn't be like stood upright to flat on the floor. It would be more of a collapsing onto into a sitting position. Um, but I think on the first day it was like a toe amputation or something, which isn't very pleasant to watch. But I remember feeling a little bit dizzy and thinking, Nikki, just pull yourself together. This is fine. But then I was on the floor and I remember seeing everyone like facing me as well. So Lily's story rings with me as well. Yeah, it always feels so non-consensual. Like, I'm stood there, I feel completely fine. And then my body is like, no, you might think you're fine, but you're absolutely not. Just so annoying.
The other thing is it always seems to be such, oh, for me, it seems to be such random things. Like I remember when I was on work experience before I'd gone to medical school mm. and the first day um, is my mum's a midwife. So she'd got me some work experience in on labor ward. And the first day I went into like elective C-section list. I found it so interesting. Like it was really good. I didn't feel faint at all. And then that afternoon I went into pediatrics and I saw um, like a kid getting blood taken and that was what set me off. That was like, because the kid was like really distressed and I was yeah. felt really bad. And it was just so weird though. Cause I was like, how did I manage those C-sections? But I can't just marry. Yeah. yeah, I've had a similar experience. When, in one of my work experiences when I was about 15, 16, I was in sort of, I was in craniofacial surgery, like reconstruction. I saw brains pulsing. It was quite, like, there was a lot to see. And I didn't find that squeamish at all. But I fainted when, like, I've seen children have, like, burns dressings changed. Again, with the child being really uncomfortable. And um, I'm not sure if it's their reaction that set me off or what it is. Boone, do you know why that might be? So all three of you have described a whole plethora of um, uh, triggers for what we call situational syncope, which is one of the most common causes of uh, syncope in in the medical student population, I would say. My own personal experience is I was teaching a very strapping six foot two rugby player, medical student uh, to take blood. And I said, oh, you'll be fine. And as I got his uh, colleague, another medical student to stab him in the antecubital fossa, he became gray, ashen, uh, non-responsive, slid down the chair and started shaking. And to the untrained eye and the nurse around me, they said he was having a seizure. We now know this is very likely to have been an episode of vasovagal syncope with cardio inhibition. And to your point, uh, Lily, when when you faint spectacularly with the whole of the cast of Grey's Anatomy waking up uh, around you with an oxygen mask, one of the strong aspects of a faint with a situational component is that you may well have a prolonged period of bradycardia, sometimes a pause, that we see not too uncommonly in the tilt test lasting 8, 10, 15 seconds. Now imagine that the brain is not perfused for that length of time. It can do funny things such as start to shake, start to jerk, start to have uh, perhaps even tonic-clonic movements that to the untrained eye would look no different from um, even to the trained eye would look no different from a seizure. So it is very um, it, it is very interesting that we see this group of patients and medical students who faint fairly abruptly. And in your experience, Nikki, with the feeling that it's about to happen and getting worse and worse, and if you don't do something about it, you might pass out. So you sit down and you can abort the faint. That is a very, very, what I would say, safe and benign faint. And one of the things to be aware of is that when you're standing next to a grumpy vascular surgeon who's trying to save somebody's life, clapping the aorta, and you face plant into his sterile surgical feel, that's not a good idea. That's not a good idea, Lily. And if you didn't have warning, for example, you may well do that. So part of the strategy, and I think you already said yourself that the next time it happened, you already knew it was going to start. Yeah. Part of the strategy for you all is to please be aware and develop the situational awareness that, look, this guy, 
this kid with this combination of squeamishness, parents shouting, kid squealing, plus, plus, and a very important plus is Jupiter and Saturn line up in a full transit across the moon. That is the time. When I say the moon, I mean your menstrual cycle. That's what I mean. If you are in the middle of your menstrual cycle, for example, and you just had a hard party because it was whatever, new freshest week, <laughs> and you had a you had a difficult night's sleep because your roommate was up and about studying for finals, and then you had a very tough early morning rise to get to your hospital at the end of the whatever, A3 or A1, and you got there early and you were stressed, so you miss your morning breakfast and you miss your cup of tea, not cup of tea, but water, all these factors will make it more likely that you faint even with the slightest squeamish thing like putting a Venflon in. Mm. On the other hand, with a good night's sleep and with well-rested state, with a good state of mind and with you watching C-sections which go wrong and uh, uh, orthopedic surgery which are very gory and, and limbs bending over backwards, you may not have a faint. So a faint is not just about your what you're experiencing psychologically or emotionally, a faint is truly the combination of the transit of the the planets. When I say that, I mean the constellation of events that come together to promote this uh, final endpoint of syncope. And it's often uh, the case that if you can identify these events, you can then avoid the syncopal event I mean, when I say avoid syncope, avoid fainting. It's yeah. difficult to avoid pre-syncope. In fact, one of the treatments that I say to my patients is that if you can develop pre-syncopal warning prodromal symptoms and you can take the relative evasive action to avoid syncope, you're on a winner because then you're safe. You're not on a winner when you're like Lily, who who is feeling completely well, have a has an out of body experience, and next thing you know, you're waking up when people are around you. That, in my mind, is not the kind of faint that I would consider that safe because there is no warning, and that therefore it could happen. For example, when you're walking or standing up on a flight of stairs, so it's it's also important in that situation to understand the situations that may trigger a faint. For example, if you know that every time you see phlebotomy or have phlebotomy taken from you, that you must sit down or lie down and tell the nurse that you you might faint if you have blood taken. Yeah, it's one of the things with that first day on that placement, I don't think I saw it coming at all. And I, even though I could now mm. look back and recognize that I started to feel quite dizzy, um, on the day I remember thinking, oh God, don't be dramatic, like just sort yourself out. But then... From, and I didn't want to be dramatic and have to sit, be the person that had to sit down. But then from that day onwards, I always made sure I knew either where the stool was or where I was going to sit. And then no one minded the fact that I was the medical student that always fainted in the corner because I would just so, sit myself down. And so, 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 can, so can I ask three of you a question? Do you feel in medical student placements that your uh, bladder capacity is forced to be trained um, because <laughs> you feel embarrassed about leaving surgery to say you need to pee? I don't think I'm in theatre enough to really test this. Um, yeah. But also, I do not drink enough water and I'm always dehydrated, which obviously plays into the whole fainting thing. Yeah, I was going to um, say, that so might I haven't be a... had that issue. <laughs> yeah, there's a risk factor. What about you, Anna? Yeah, there's definitely a balance to be struck. I too... Um, 
very very bad at drinking water um I usually get home from the hospital like recently since I've been back in the hospital um because I was on a GP placement before um but since I've been back in the hospital it's been literally like I get home at like 6 30 and I'm like I haven't drunk Mm -hmm. anything today apart from maybe a can of diet coke um so but I yeah I would feel I would always feel embarrassed about leaving a room or drawing attention to myself in any way really exactly yeah yeah I think that's what I wanted to avoid the first time and then I realized that I ended up with someone holding my legs up and I had a lot more attention there and I didn't want that so sitting myself down felt easier we'll discuss a little bit more about attitudes to fainting but that will be right after this how much do you care about indemnity right now probably not a lot you're still a few years away from really worrying about claims and complaints from patients but being part of medical protection is about a lot more than just indemnity we can be there if something goes wrong but we're also here to help make sure things go right too we're the only medical defense organization that protects doctors all over the world from London to Brisbane, Cork to Cape Town, 300,000 members benefit from our expert advice and support throughout their career. During your years at medical school, your membership is completely free. You'll get training resources that can help you become an even better doctor, plus a dedicated student team there for you when you need it most. And when it comes to your elective, you can trust in our international experience to protect you wherever you choose to go. It's no wonder that 90% of medical students in the UK choose to be part of medical protection. You can find out more at medicalprotection.org. So Anna and Lily, I don't know about either of you, but because I never judge anyone else for fainting, but I genuinely always just feel so embarrassed after it happens to me. I feel as though I've been really weak or I couldn't handle something, especially when it's happened to me at medical school. What do you guys think? I'm trying to think because I was so embarrassed when I fainted in the chemo unit Um, and that was like with lovely nurses and like lovely patients and I don't know everyone was so nice I don't know how I'd feel if I fainted yet in like orthopedic surgery which will be tested in the new year that feels more scary surrounded by lots of male scary surgeons to then faint to be like the yeah like the female medical student who faints that narrative does not appeal to me um but yeah no I do find it embarrassing I don't know if I would think someone else fainting would I think that they are silly I think I might think they're a bit silly but that's completely a projection of my own shame (laughs) of fainting (laughs) I think I'd be like yeah I'm glad that's not you this time what about you Anna yeah I think in terms of my like own internalization like I've spoken on the podcast before about um, some issues I had with anxiety in public transport. And part of that was when I moved to London and often you had to stand up on the bus or on the tube and the fear of like something happening and everyone in that carriage turning around to look at me because I'd passed out was definitely a huge factor in why I developed such issues around using public transport. Um, Which is like, when I look back on that now, I'm like, why were you like that girl? You know, that's, that's not... That's that's not a normal thing to think. There was one guy in dissection in like first year, but it, I think everyone just found it kind of funny because he was a really big guy and he was the only one who fainted in dissection. But I don't know whether that was... That sounds a bit mean when I say it like that, but we weren't laughing at him um, and he was fine. I know what you mean. There is an element of sort of 
finding it funny or like I thought this would be a good episode for a sharp scratch so obviously there's an element of people thinking that others fainting is funny and I definitely felt more validated in the second week of my um surgery block when one of my other um someone else in my clinical group fainted as well so it wasn't just me and I felt less sort of silly about it but there was a lot of people I think it this more came from sort of course mates joking around rather than any of the actual doctors or nurses that I was with but there's a lot of sort of suggestions of oh like you wouldn't be able to be a surgeon then or um suggestions that perhaps you're Mm. too squeamish to be a doctor and what are our thoughts on that? I 100% relate to that I have had a needle phobia in inverted commas because apparently it's not a phobia if it's rational which I would say it's rational anyway (laughs) a needle phobia my whole life always awful at having my flu jab blood taken like I would hide under the chairs I was the kid that would lock myself in the GP loo um and yeah I was absolutely like at school getting my HPV and stuff the girl that would have to lie on the mat after and be fed biscuits so that has been something that has characterized my approach to like healthcare my whole life and then doing medicine absolutely everyone I know was like what why are you doing this like you're gonna have to be a doctor and I was like yeah 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 it'll be fine and I still definitely have anxiety around it like I've done my uh like cannulating clinical skills three times now even though I have cannulated a person I do it so many times because I just like I'm so scared of doing it and fainting on the patient or shaking or something like that um and like yeah it is yeah it is stressful and it does people saying oh yeah you can't be a surgeon although I don't want to be a surgeon I'm gonna regret that if I become a surgeon people saying it though is it no No. that leads on really nicely because I was wondering as well whether you can sort of work yourself up and if you're like being so scared of fainting makes you more likely to keel over because in that vascular surgery block that I keep mentioning um there were a couple of times that I scrubbed in I was so determined to like make it through the whole operation but I was out before they'd even started operating like they it was more than once that I'd fainted before I was out before the patient so like I I guess though that I predicted that it was going to happen and it almost became like a self-fulfilling prophecy Boone, is that the case? Can we literally work ourselves up into fainting? It, it has been a very fascinating discussion so far, and I've learned a lot from three of you, so th- thank you for inviting <laughs> me. It's, it's wonderful. Um, I, I, I feel that I need to say uh, to Lily particularly, you, you don't need to be afraid or, or anxious. In fact, all three of you, there's nothing to be embarrassed about with fainting. And the the fear I have is not fainting for the three of you. The fear I have is that you won't fulfill your full potential and ambition because of the fear of fainting. Not because you faint, but because you fear that you cannot fulfill what you really want to do. So in my experience, there are two reasons for anxiety. One is the, the fear that you're going to faint. And this could happen, for example, when you're lying in bed, uh, at night thinking of the next day's uh, attachment in vascular surgery and you're you're getting the chills or, or scared just lying in bed thinking about it. But, but the other thing that I want you all to realize and all your listeners to realize is that before you have a faint, you have a strong adrenaline surge. And the reason you have an adrenaline surge is precisely to protect you from fainting. And this is what we consider occurring in the pre-syncopal 
prodromal phase of fainting. So, Nikki, if you remember feeling slightly unwell and dizzy and maybe a rising heat, perspiration, hot and cold, uh, gut-wrenching feeling in your stomach with maybe cramps and shortness of breath and palpitations, all these symptoms could be explained by a heightened release of adrenaline. And adrenaline is doing exactly what it's meant to be doing. It's trying to keep your blood pressure up in the face of what we call orthostatic intolerance and vasodilatation, principally in your lower limbs. So your large venous capacitance vessels in your in your legs, but also in the splanchnic bed where you have six meters of gut and lots of a very large capillary tree that will take away a lot of your blood from your central core circulation, which is your heart and your brain. And so the response to this is an adrenaline surge. And the response to the adrenaline surge is a rising sense of anxiety and doom and dread. And I don't want you to to feel that uh, that is something that should make you not fulfill your ambition just because you're getting these rising senses of adrenaline and doom. In fact, what you should do is realize that it takes more than just a crying child or vascular surgery to make you faint. And if you said to yourself, look, I'm not going to faint today because today before surgery, A, I'm not going to worry about bladder. So I can excuse myself, even have the audacity to say to the surgeon, I have to de-scrub and I have to take up my gloves <laughs> and my blues and I have to go to the toilet to empty my bladder. And I will re-scrub in five minutes when I've had a sip of water and come back. And you know what? That is what I encourage my fellows to do if they're fainters. And believe you me, I run the tilt service at one of the busiest syncope units in London. And the number of surgeons, I like consultant surgeons, I mean, who are operating at the top of their game, the number of times we have a surgeon have to take two weeks off work because they fainted or had a spell of fainting. I can't remember, but there are many, many surgeons that I've seen over my career who have got to the pinnacle of surgery, become the top vascular, cardiothoracic, orthopedic surgeons in their field and still faint in theater, just like the three of you did. So it doesn't preclude your ambition of becoming a surgeon. If you want to do surgery, please don't let fainting be an excuse to not the surgery, okay? Because you can often combat it by going out when Saturn and Jupiter are misaligned. Or, you know, making sure that you're you're not going to allow all those ducks to be lining up in a row when you're going to surgery. And that's potentially getting some top tips to wear compression, drink some water, have some oral rehydration solution, something like Noon, ORS, or even Darlite, or even pink Himalayan salt, put it, put it with some sugar, and drink 500 mils and then get into theatre and have a good positive experience from theatre that will enhance and develop your brain into getting away from that negative spiral of thinking, I'm going to faint whenever I go into surgery. Because the more times you go in and the more times you fail to maintain an upright posture, the more fear gets ingrained in your head and it's a learned helplessness reflex. But the more time you can combat it with the strategies that I've just mentioned, and conquer it and actually feel a positive feel. So emotionally, embrace every surgery that you get through without fainting and and retrain your brain 
to not fear fainting, the better it is it will be for you to get rid of this medical induced syncope. Thank you. Yeah, because you've mentioned a little bit there about sort of things that we can do to help ourselves. But is there any way that you could literally like train yourself to not faint? Are there any sort of exercises that you recommend that we can do or things like that? So a very helpful exercise, and this works immediately, is called an isometric counter-pressure maneuver. So if you think about it, I'm going to do one in front of all of you now. I can put my hands together and I can then pull apart. I can grit my teeth. I can clench the gluteal muscles in my buttocks, my quadriceps and my calves. I can cross my legs and I can start to fidget my legs as I tense the glutes, the quads, the calves, all while sitting down without anyone knowing. And in fact, you can even do this whilst you're standing up. So the Queen's Guard on parade, on the summer's parade, are often trained to lift your toes to the ceiling. You might not see this in the huge boots that they wear, but as you lift your toes, go ahead and try it now. You'll you'll feel the back of your calves tense up. And the calves are said to be your second pump, your second heart. Because when they, you squeeze these calves, and if your valves in the venous system are intact, you are literally squeezing the blood from your venous vessels up from your lower limbs into the inferior vena cava, back into the heart to increase that cardiac venous return. That increases your blood pressure. So whenever you feel faint, first of all, if you know what's coming, sit down and so you don't smack your head on the, on the basin. But if you feel a slow onset, Oftentimes, squeezing your calves is going to be good, good enough potentially for you to carry on what you're doing. And if not, then certainly good enough to buy you time to ask for help. And asking for help may just mean you say to the surgeon, I need to go and empty my bladder and de-scrub, or I need to step out for a while. No one is going to think of you any weaker or um, judge you if you do that. In fact, you will empower yourself and mark yourself out as that confident young medical student who dared to defy the surgeon to walk out (laughs) of his cardiac surgical list because you cared about your own health more. And please, I urge you in any situation, in any station in life to do that, to protect yourself first, because you can. That's amazing advice. Thank you so much. Anna and Lily, do either of you guys have any sort of top tips for if any of our listeners find themselves in theatres or in a situation where they think they might be prone to fainting? I do. Um, So I think the kind of click in my head was when I first went to give blood. I'd wanted to give blood for ages. I was scared. I was going to pass out giving blood. And they give you this leaflet that, um, yeah, basically describes these, like, exercises of, like, clenching your calves um, and unclenching them slowly, like, as you as the blood kind of comes out of you and I was really pleased and now I like use that technique all the time and actually I I stopped myself from fainting the other day um when I was removing a toenail in GP and I was like oh god this is so weird and I knew I thought I was like I'm not gonna go I'm gonna (laughs) and I I, yeah I clenched my cars and now I feel a lot more confident about like stopping myself very proud of you passing out yeah Yeah, I think once you sort of stop yourself once or you know that you can do it like for me when I did the first operation all the way through and I stood up and I went back and I was like guys I did it I didn't faint after that I didn't faint again and I really enjoyed every operation I went to I don't think I fainted since actually if the three of you can share this with the other medical students who are listening 
if I give you one top tip as a kind of imperial consultant cardiologist, I would say more than knowing what your grade five hypertension drug is, because the number of times within syncope, I see patients coming to my clinic, a tertiary clinic from other very good clinics to say, we've tried this, that, and the other, this drug, that drug, midodrin, fludrocortisone, they're still fainting, can you help Dr. Lim? And when I go back to the fundamental question, how much are you drinking? They say one and a half liters a day. And of that 500 mils is coffee. And they just don't get it. They've been told many, many times to drink, to drink three liters, but they don't understand why. And the excuse is, oh, I, I, drank, I drank three liters, um, but, but I still fainted, so I've stopped drinking. That is a big challenge for me. One and a half liters is not, that isn't very much. No, that's, no, no. That, that, that no, sounds three, like loads. Well, no, three, three litres is what I would recommend to a frequent fainter. Three litres? Three litres, yeah. And, and actually have two of your litres before lunchtime. Oh, and, my and, word. And, and, and if, you're not, if you're not there and actually want to get there slowly, I wouldn't mind a compromise that you keep your urine clear or straw-coloured. That is the compromise. Yeah, three, sorry. Gosh, three litres. Yeah, I mean, God, I think I'm, I'm going to have to do nothing else but drink water all day. You need to get a sippy cup, like a sippy water bottle. I, like oh, I used to like have one, but I couldn't it. clean it. Oh, that's fair. That is a struggle. <laughs> I'll try. I'll try for you, Boone. <laughs> Boone, I've actually got another question for you. I wonder, because you've hinted at it a little bit with your cycles of the moon, but do you think that women faint more than men? Yes. And like, why is that? The simplistic explanation that, that, that I give is that with your monthly cycles, there, there needs to be a preparation potentially for the uh, tubes. And actually, if you think about it, preparation for childbirth. And there are things that relax your, your connective tissues in preparation for, of this, for the stretch that needs to occur for, for anticipation of a fetus, uh, a growing fetus. And Although these are mainly manifest during pregnancy and labor, obviously, these are kind of complex series of hormones uh, that are released on a monthly cyclical basis. And if you think about what they can do to your soft tissues everywhere, including your womb, it can also deliver to your soft tissues in the vasculature. The vasculature is, after all, a smooth muscle with some collagen and any influence of any hormonal influence to make them a bit more stretchy and more compliant so that when you stand up, a lot more fluid is passing down with gravity to your lower limbs, you lose blood essentially. And it may not take that much more if you're you're predisposed to fainting already with a low normal blood pressure. That extra thing, that extra ingredient, that extra duct that's lining up in a row is that monthly period. Yeah, of course, just the monthly period won't do it, right? Because you have to have monthly period, a bit of stress, a bit of lack of sleep, mm. and a placement and the afternoon after lunch, a long postprandial vasodilatation of the splanchnic bed. And the combination of that normally leads to fainting. That's really interesting that there's like a physiological reason why as well, because I put a tweet out a few weeks ago, I think, asking medical students for their fainting stories. And I noticed that I think I just had girls reply to me and I wondered whether it was because boys were embarrassed to admit that they'd fainted or whether girls do just faint more. 
that's really interesting sort of leading on from the whole embarrassment thing I know we've touched on it before as well um Lily and Anna we've mentioned a bit about what our course mates and stuff might have thought and what we might think of others but how did you um find that you were treated after you fainted on placement do you think there is a stigma about it I can't really talk about this because I was on my own in the chemo unit I didn't have any placement (laughs) partner with me and all the nurses were just lush and they were so nice. They sat me in a massive chemo chair. They fed me biscuits and tea and they put a blanket on me and they said, you are not allowed to move. And so I had actually such a great time, made some friends. It was lovely. <laughs> then my friend came and picked me up and it was great. Uh, so actually, if I hadn't said it on this podcast or told my friends, no one else would know. So, <laughs> so it was your that, choice. Yeah. treated well. Yeah. Anna, what about you? Yeah, I think for me... Um, because my my main memory of it is like pre going to medical school I was really upset because I definitely thought was I was like obviously I'm not gonna be able to handle going to medical school if I'm fainting at the sight of you know one child having one tiny tube of blood taken out of them um but yeah I think I had the same experience like everyone was so nice um I got fed some biscuits um yeah, biscuits would be a top tip, actually. Now, if it, if I know I'm going to go to theatre, I always eat some biscuits before I go. Um. Yeah, yeah, same. Yeah, sounds like for you, Nikki, it's much more like you've been with, like, yes, I think firm's the first, partners. The first time that I fainted was the induction for that placement, where, like, my, the five people in my clinical group were all in the same operation. Oh, so it was no. just like, oh, Nikki's the one who faints. <laughs> but just in general, my experience is that people are generally lovely, but there is that sort of slight hint of judgment, from, from mostly from, like, the jokey comments. And I mean, when I first fainted on that induction, I got up quite quickly and I um, was taken into like the kitchen and they again gave me water and biscuits, things like that. But I perked back up and I really wanted to sort of prove myself and go back into theatre. And I asked one of the nurses where the certain theatre number was and she was like, oh, I'm going here as well, so I'll show you. Um, but she didn't know who I was and she turned to me and she was like apparently one of the new med students has already fainted and I was like yeah that was me (laughs) I have had this both times when I fainted in the chemo unit the next day when I was in clinic the consultant was like did you know one of your colleagues fainted yesterday and I was like yeah that was me and then also when I fainted after my BCG jab on my like firms group whatsapp um, one of my colleagues was like oh I heard someone fainted so clearly gossip just spreads so yeah. <laughs> people love the drama like yeah, the most I don't minor mind bit it. of drama like people are, people yeah. are keen for it I don't mind They're being known it. as a fainty girl but no, that's what I like feeling a bit infamous <laughs> yeah exactly yeah exactly such a such a different perspective it's often easy for somebody on the other side who's running a service to say don't worry about that you know there's there's nothing to be embarrassed about but can't change how you feel and can't change how you're crew will your group or whatsapp chat group uh, <laughs> treat you and how they spread gossip right i've got two kids and it's a cruel world this uh, playground <clears throat> and i i see now that it doesn't it doesn't leave in in medical school that i can tell you it doesn't leave as a consultant as well it remains a cruel world so what changes is your internal self and if you exactly. can if you can change yourself to manage the cruelty of the world and know that you're no different whether or not somebody says you're a fainter or not a fainter whether you're blonde or black haired or whatever it is that comes your way stay true to yourself and know know yourself as the person you are then that should just dissipate easier said than done and something i try to teach my kids every day
I think our takeaway message from today is that it is normal and there's nothing to be embarrassed about if you do faint. And I mean, we've expressed our stories of pe- people gossiping and things, but we're all, we've all come onto a podcast and spoken about ourselves fainting, so we can't be too embarrassed about it. Um, and if you do faint, you're definitely not alone. There's definitely ways that you can try and prevent it from happening, like the tips that we've discussed. And most importantly, it doesn't make you weak or mean that you're not going to be a good doctor and it doesn't rule out career paths such as surgery. And I guess today we also learned a lot about the power of the mind and how that can help us um, sort of train ourselves to stop fainting. But until next time, that's all from us on Sharp Scratch today. If you'd like to hear more from us, subscribe to Sharp Scratch wherever you get your podcasts and in two weeks' time you'll be notified of our next episode. While you wait for the next one, do check us out on social media. We're BMJ Student on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Let us know what you think about the podcast using the hashtag SharpScratch. I'd love to hear your ideas for what we should cover later on in the season. It's also really helpful for us if you can leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, as it helps other med students find the show. Until next time, bye from us. Bye-bye. Remember... To create your free BMJ best practice account today, visit bmj.com forward slash UK access. Funded by Health Education England, NHS Education for Scotland and NHS Wales.